the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. Despite the outstanding safety record of nuclear power in North America, many environmentalists still regard them as being dangerous. Last week, we demonstrated that they have nothing to fear from an explosion point of view. They're not bombs and cannot be turned into bombs, no matter what activists say. This week, we are going to delve more deeply into their other concern, namely that the radioactive waste these power plants produce will threaten future generations. In particular, we're going to focus on two waste disposal projects, one in Nevada at Yucca Mountain, which is yet to be approved, and one that was just approved near Ottawa, Canada. To help us understand the nuclear waste issue, I've invited nuclear power expert Todd Royal back to the show for yet a third time in a row, the first time I've ever done that. (laughs) Todd is an internationally published columnist, energy policy expert, and author based in McKinney, Texas. He has advised the U.S. Departments of Energy as well as the Department of Commerce, the U.S. Congress, and the states of Kentucky, California, and Texas. Todd's background is in communicating complex science and technology in non-technical language, so this show should be a good entry point for people who want to really understand the nuclear waste issue better. So thanks for being on the show, Todd. Oh, glad to be back here again. We've had some really good discussions, so I'm, I'm very excited to be back here for the third time. So thank you so much, Tom. Okay, great. Yeah, so many people, they they basically are afraid of the waste, so they think that nuclear power is not an option. But we'll get Mm -hmm. into that in a second. So just so that people who are hearing this show perhaps didn't hear one and two, parts one and two, can you tell us how your background relates to nuclear energy? Well, I am actually on the tail end of finishing up almost three years of research uh, on nuclear power. It is, uh, we've been looking at generation four reactors. That means the reactor is not going to be cooled by water. Also generation three plus uh, reactors, which are water cooled reactors. Been doing a value chain uh, project. We have an economic impact report, a value chain report. We've looked at, gosh, over 350 different projects in the United States and globally as well, using a SWOT analysis. And this is being done for the U.S. Department of Commerce's Economic Development Administration. Uh, we're turning in all of our materials soon. If you go and Google E4 Carolina's uh, Nuclear Economic Impact Report, you it's been released now publicly. I uh, just saw today at the Nuclear Energy Institute, different newspapers, uh, World Nuclear News has also carried it. So that's my heavy background. I, I've, I've done a lot of nuclear work this last <laughs> two and a half years. So that's called the E4. Is that letter E4? Yes, uh, it okay. is my, uh, yeah, the letter E, the, the, the letter E, the number four, Carolines. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I'll include it in the links under the podcast when it goes up okay. on Monday. So can you start out by talking about the different sorts of high and low level waste from nuclear power plants? Because I think a lot of people think all of it is highly radioactive and it'll stay that way for millions of years. But that's not really true, is it? Well, it's not. And I'm going to give you literally the definition from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That's the United States uh, government body which regulates nuclear power in the United States, plus the transport of nuclear waste and the storage of nuclear waste. Um, What you have is really two broad classifications. You have high level or low level waste. 
high-level waste is primarily spent fuel that's removed from the reactors after producing electricity. Big nuclear power plant, that's where you're getting your electricity, boom. And it's going to have some waste. That's referred to as high-level waste. Low-level waste comes from reactor operations that come from medical, academic, industrial, and you'll have some other uses of radioactive materials. That's low-level. As an example, I just... I was at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. It's one of the, uh, the, the oldest and most well-known of the academic laboratories that's run by the U.S. Department of Energy. Uh, I visit a reactor that's been going since 1965, and it produces medical isotopes, and they also do research off the reactor. So I saw the nuclear waste. I literally was, oh, about 50 feet from a canister of nuclear waste. Uh, I saw the reactor. Uh, they have it. Uh, encased in water, uh, which is very interesting that they do for uh, academic and medical isotope purposes. So I've seen exactly how the waste is stored. So I have this happen. I was at Oak Ridge National Laboratory about a month ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one of the things I find interesting is the fact that it's high level waste means that it's emitting its energy, its radiation fast. So it actually decays much more quickly than the low level waste, which is emitting the radiation slowly. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, As well, too, is you have to know that, like when you bring out the spent fuel rods, that's one of the big differences in these Generation 4 reactors. Uh, A Generation 4 reactor can actually use, quote-unquote, the high-level waste that's going to come from current, what's called Generation 3 or Generation 3-plus reactors. So these newer reactors that are still... China just opened one up uh, recently, a few months ago. Uh, The West is attempting to open them. They can actually use spent nuclear fuel because very little of the uranium has actually been used in the waste uh, that comes out of current generation three plus or three uh, reactors. Again, which that means it's a water cooled reactor, whereas the generation four reactors are going to be non water cooled. They'll use things like lead bismuth, molten salts, uh, high-temperature gases to cool the reactor. Yeah. So what's the advantage of the second kind, the more advanced kind? Well, there's a few advantages. Number one, they can they can run much hotter. A uh, typical reactor gets about 350 degrees, 400 degrees Celsius. Uh, these new reactors can get all the way up to 1,200 degrees Celsius. Um, uh-huh. And at not, let's say like at 950 degrees Celsius, I can create hydrogen. So now I'm going to be using a truly carbon, I'm I'm creating a true carbon-free form of energy storage, or it can be used for electricity, hydrogen. It can do cogeneration, meaning it can run two different types of energy systems. Uh, It can do desalinization because the reactor right now, when it's getting at this 350 to 400 degrees Celsius range, really the best use of it is is to create uh, electricity. But the Mm -hmm. hotter I get, then I can do something called industrial heat. Uh, people, when you do big, heavy manufacturing, steel, concrete, plastics, chemicals, you typically have to, it, it has to get very hot to do this. In other words, I use, I get to use a lot of fossil fuels. Those fossil fuels are one of the highest emitting uh, things in the world. With these new type of reactors, I could do complete carbon-free uh, electricity or processes, meaning steam, process heat, 
steam to create all sorts of everything from fertilizer, the Fisher trope process. Um, I can make uh, heavy concretes, plastics, petrochemicals. I can use a, a reactor that's getting all the way up to 700 degrees Celsius, 950 degrees Celsius. If I have something called district heat, mm. um, the, the theory can go that I then can get rid of natural gas, that it's going to produce the kind of heat that then, you know, something that's running your dishwasher, your washing machine, if you cook with natural gas, most restaurants, uh, any restaurant you're going to probably go to in the West, the chef is going to want to use natural gas. It's mm -hmm. easier. It's easier to cook with. So these newer forms of reactors can get much hotter than the water cooled reactors can. So they can actually be used to power a gas oven. They can. So you would mm -hmm. do you would do district heat. And so mm -hmm. you would be using you'd be using a new form of a reactor. And that the best part of this, it's called a fast breeder reactor. That reactor can actually eat or use uh, older nuclear fuel that's being stored globally. So mm -hmm. you really are going to find the nirvana of energy systems. You know, mm -hmm. when you when you talk to environmentalists all the time. My gosh, wind and solar, this doesn't produce any emissions. This is completely free. This is uh, the wind and the sun. Okay, the, the wind and the sun, that's obviously true. And that is completely carbon free. There's no pollution added to that. But obviously, as you've gone over many times and your audience would know, those are variable. Those are intermittent. The sun only shines half the day. The wind doesn't blow all the time. What you're getting with these reactors, these new former reactors, these generation four reactors, you're getting something that's not intermittent, that has the highest capacity factor, meaning they can run about 92 or 95 percent of the time. And all the spent nuclear fuel in the world can be used to run these reactors. They can actually use former uh, spent fuel, a reactor, a rod. It's literally a rod that these generally mm -hmm. come in come in, you place them in little canisters uh, that can be used to fuel mm -hmm. this, this new uh, generation of reactors. For the fourth generation reactors, I presume they can also produce electricity. Absolutely. But they have mm -hmm. so many other things they can do because they can get much hotter. The molten mm -hmm. salts, the high temperature gases, the lead bismuth, the pebble, uh, pebble cold reactors, they get hotter. Um, mm -hmm. An example is a high temperature gas reactor that's being done by a company called X-Energy, or Bill Gates has a company called TerraPower. These are generation four reactors. There's another company called Kairos Power that's going to do a demonstration project um, at Oak Ridge, where they're going to they're going to show this. It's called the Hermes reactor that the reactor can get much hotter, 400 mm -hmm. degrees, 500 degrees, 700 degrees. And then again, when you get to those temperatures like 950 degrees, I can make hydrogen. So, yeah, it starts off making electricity, but it, it goes into other areas right now that are heavy emitting, heavy polluting industries. And you're saying you can clean those up. And then since we're talking about waste, I then can take waste that's already been spent or spent nuclear fuel rod and put that into this generation four reactor. So you're really closing the loop by saying the entire time that I'm using this reactor, I'm actually taking waste that had happened decades ago or years ago, and I'm putting it into this reactor. So now 
you can say nuclear power is completely carbon free and there's not even any waste that's involved. So so the, at the very end of a process, doesn't isn't there some waste from the generation four reactors? Minimal. Mm-hmm. Minimal. You're 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 talking about and you also remember you're talking about molten salts, you're talking about lead bismuths, you're talking about high temperature gas, helium. So mm-hmm. in many ways, you're not looking to go store spent helium either. It's being used in the reactor. Mm-hmm. When it's, are they going to be available for actual online use? 15 to 25 years. Oh, is that but, right? So it's fa- the, fairly advanced. But, yeah, but the Chinese right now have their first uh, small module reactor, Lying Long 1, that is, that is uh, currently, it's currently in deployment. Is that um, right? So, yep, they do. So China has their very, their very first one. It's about... Three, they're saying it's 300 megawatts. Sometimes whenever anything that's coming out of China, you do have to kind of, you got to confirm things. You got to make sure the truth is being told. But from what is what has been said, what's been out there publicly, um, they are the first ones along with the Russians who are using a form of a generation, you know, a generation four reactor or even your generation three plus advanced reactors. Mm-hmm. Now, in the meantime, of course, we have to store the waste somewhere for the standard generation three reactors that are currently operating. Mm-hmm. And people have talked about putting them deep in geologic formations. And that, to me, sounds very safe because, you know, Terry Rogers, I was telling you about him last week. Yes. Uh, engineering professor I had at Carleton. He said that you could hold a can reactor bundle safely in your hands after only 400 years. So if you're stuffing it in a geologic formation that's been stable for hundreds of millions of years, I mean, surely that is a very, very safe way to store generation three waste. It's the safest way to store. What what you really have here is you have a political issue. What it reminds me of so much is fracking. You heard for so long, if you frack, meaning if I'm going to drill down, use what's called hydraulic fracturing, I'm going to. I'm going to fracture some rocks. I'm going to create what's called a fissure. I'm going to, I'm going to really shoot down water mixed with chemicals that, that you'd find in a bottle of 409 that looks like something you go shoot on your car, like in a car wash. Hey, if we do this, we're going to contaminate water. Well, the problem is most water tables are at 200 feet and they were going down 5,000 feet. Now they go 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 feet. It's the same thing. What you're getting is people that do not understand these are completely safe ways to store this waste. Um, you're talking about going hundreds of feet down to the ground. You're talking about doing zigzag type of um, engineering work. You're then talking about putting it in a canister or a cask that's already been certified by people like the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, you're talking these canister, you know, these canis, these canisters, and these casks. Again, like we talked about uh, your previous episode, it's concrete, it's steel, it's iron, it's rebar. I have literally seen one of these things. You're talking hundreds of years before anything's going to happen to it. Mm-hmm. By then, the high-level waste is decayed to a safe level. It's decayed to a not. It's not only is it safe. Now I have it hundreds of feet underground in something that's been engineered to so many, uh, you know, you always hear how many levels of nine safety. What you mean by that 
is saying, okay, if something's 100%, let's use the number you typically say in statistics or math or in today's world, we go, oh, that's 100% safe. Okay. Well, nothing is 100% safe, but we get on airplanes. Nothing's 100% safe, but we use hydroelectric dams that we know are decaying. Um, now, so you're saying that something that's hundreds of feet underground, that's been engineered more than anything basically on the earth, that is it, many times is using the same types of systems used for government officials who are going to be in a bomb, um, a bomb shelter to make sure governments can continue running if a if we had a thermonuclear war. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that's something that's going to going to decay anyway something that's been put into a cask by a company like, you know, Orano and others globally that are doing it. You're saying that in no way, shape, fashion, or form is that safe. That it it doesn't, there's nothing that makes sense, but yet you're willing to go get on an airplane right now that, that doesn't even come near the safety level that we're talking about the nuclear industry and, and spent nuclear fuel and nuclear quote unquote, nuclear waste is put into mm-hmm. well, really what what you could do is take that waste what and oh and remember too that this waste you don't take it out of a reactor typically it not typically it goes into a pool of water for years at a time to cool it off special designed pools special designed water i, I again i've seen this and i literally was next to a reactor that was that was Oh, pardon me. I was separated by a 12 foot concrete steel rebar enforced wall. This is the same kind of configurations that are going into something like Yucca Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I want to talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about Yucca Mountain. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me, what is Yucca Mountain Waste Repository? Why isn't it being built yet? <laughs> well, it's it's ready to go. This is this is a political issue, and it, it's also worth noting. Let's just take the United States. You could fit all the nuclear waste in the United States on a football field, an American football field, at a depth of about 10 yards. Okay, so in other words, you're so we've had we have we have the most reactors in the United in the world. We're at 94. We've been running these, we've been now doing nuclear heavy, heavily since the 70s for over 50 years. And that's all the waste that it's um that it's produced. I would tell anybody, and I am, I'm, I am pro fossil fuel. Um, I believe coal fired power plants should continue to be used, but the coal ash and the waste from a, from a coal fired plant compared to a nuclear power plant, there's no, there's no comparison. So then you go to somewhere like Yucca mountain. This has been a political squabble that has been going on. It's a national depository for for commercial waste that's this fight's been going on since the late 80s Mm. um you now have states that have adopted moratorium they typically vote more democrat for you know any kind of new nuclear you know construction for for any disposal technology available for spent fuel there's there is no reason there's none except politics uh there's even people looking at you know company called deep isolation to look at deep borehole waste disposal they don't need to do it um yucca mountain 
there's no reason it shouldn't be done. And and I have unbelievable respect for an organization called the, and just so you know, they, they typically a little more on the left called the Breakthrough Institute. There's mm-hmm. a gentleman who runs it named Ted Norhouse, another gentleman named Adam Stein. They do unbelievable work. And they've said, okay, it's time to go beyond Yucca Mountain. I disagree with them about that because this is, all this is, this is a political issue. That's, that's what this is. Harry Reid, former senator and former Senate Majority Leader, did everything he could to stop nuclear waste. Again, I would call it spent nuclear fuel from being stored at Yucca Mountain because there's an, an enormous about amount of fear. Again, the fear really comes from things like, a, and we've all watched the cartoon, The Simpsons. Oh, it's it's green bubbling goo and has bumbling idiots like Homer Simpson who are in charge of this. Nothing could be further from the truth. These are some of the most, I would say, outside of uh, petroleum engineers, nuclear engineers, uh, and the people who work on these things, construct uh, these casks, construct things like Yucca Mountain. These are the most technologically advanced brilliant human beings walking around the planet. Um, Mm -hmm. There's actually, uh, there's a great picture that the assistant uh, secretary of energy, a woman named Dr. Catherine Huff, a brilliant uh, former professor, literally this week, they showed a picture of her hugging a nuclear cask with spent nuclear fuel. So you're going to tell me, and and again, I completely respect Mr. Nordhaus and Dr. Stein, but you're going to tell me We should go beyond Yucca Mountain when this brilliant PhD is literally hugging spent nuclear fuel in a nuclear cask. And somehow that is unsafe for that to go into a deep geological repository in Yucca in Yucca Mountain, Nevada. There's it doesn't how many how many nines of safety do you want? Yeah, it doesn't it it doesn't make there's no sense except this is fear-mongering. This is anti-human progress. This goes against all ingenuity. This is, it's a bunch of Malthusian nihilists in the environmental left that stop this from taking place. When what you could do is be creating thousands upon thousands of great paying jobs, thousands upon thousands of construction jobs, these things should be put all over the United States, anywhere that people want in places like in New Mexico, Texas, Wyoming, and on and on and on, they're perfectly safe. And I'll end with this. Why is it we have landfills all over the United States that don't even come near this level of safety, uh-huh. but yet we're somehow going to ban Yucca Mountain? It doesn't well, make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're putting them in these canisters, which are super secure. As you say, this professor was able to hug a a canister safely. Then you're putting it a mile underground. Then you're actually filling in the cavern. I understand they fill in the cavern with some cement. And uh, and it's in a geologic formation that hasn't moved in millions of years. I mean, how can you get any safer? I mean, that sounds insane to oppose that because it sounds to me like the alternative, which is just leaving it on the surface, is obviously not as safe as Yucca Mountain. No, and and, and on top, it, that's why these are political choices. This is scare tactics and fear tactics. A- again, Dr. Catherine Huff is a brilliant human being. This is a 
highly educated, one of the most educated people we're going to find. So we're saying that she's so partisan or ideological. And I'd say, well, she was nominated by a, uh, a Democratic uh, president. This is a political appointee. Uh, she came from a university. Most universities in America tend to be on the left, vote for the U.S. Democratic Party. This is a brilliant person who's hugging this and going, this is perfectly safe. But yet somehow the very same people who said fracking is going to kill us all. The United States is now the leading um, producer of oil and natural gas in the world, mainly by doing fracking. In other words, yeah. it didn't contaminate the water. We're, we're producing over 20 million barrels a day of oil. It's the exact same fear tactics. It's the mm -hmm. exact same thought process. And I, and, and again, I've done, I've done heavy research on fracking. This is even safer than fracking. Mm, the, sto okay. the storage of spent nuclear fuel. And you just yeah. said it best. Not only did they put it underground, then they covered it with concrete and yeah. cement. Yeah. I, you I, know, I, one, I, what? Yeah, I'm sorry. Thing, I don't know how much yeah. more to say that this is completely <laughs> safe and this is only a political choice. There's no mm -hmm. reason that nuclear power should not be, de be deployed all over the United States, Canada, and everywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, some people have said that we don't want to bury it deep underground because, like you said, with these Gen 4 reactors, we're going to want to use it. So is that actually an argument against Yucca Mountain, or do we really want to store the stuff permanently, regardless of Generation 4 reactors? I would tell somebody, go store it in the mountain and then, then go get it. Oh, okay. there, there, you don't even need uh, go store it right now, because right now you're storing it above ground or you're typically storing it in government facilities that are in warehouses above ground. Now, that's also perfectly safe. Um, you can go Google pictures of how this stuff is stored. Uh, I believe Dr. Huff even had a picture of how the spent fuel was stored recently. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Huff, H-U-F-F? H-U-F-F. I've seen okay. her speak. Oh. I've read her materials. Um, whether political affiliation, if you agree with her political affiliation or not, the work she's doing on nuclear is, is top notch. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, you could right now go take this. You could go take these canisters. Arano also transported, transports it for you, as do other companies. You could put it in Yucca Mountain. It could be perfectly regulated by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And then once, let's say, 15, 20, 25 years from now, wow, these reactors are up. They're running. Great. Go, go grab it. Yeah, go get yeah, it out of Yucca Mountain and go take it to a reactor. Let's say X Energy has a reactor at Texas at the Dow Chemical Facility, which they're proposing in Seadrift, Texas. Fantastic! It's a mm -hmm. fast breeder reactor. Go use, go go get some spent nuclear fuel if you wanted to out of Yucca Mountain. Mm -hmm. It's perfectly safe to put it hundreds of feet underground without covering it in concrete and cement. It's yeah. So so for the waste that you might reuse. You wouldn't cover it with concrete right away. You'd basically leave it safe, but uncovered, under, you know, a mile underground. There are there are nuclear power plants all over the United States that have spent nuclear fuel that's been sitting essentially in their parking lot or on their property for decades. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, we have to go for a break now. In the second half, what I'd like to talk about is something called the Near Surface Disposal Facility, which is being proposed for a location in Ontario that we'll talk about. It's actually um, a low-level radioactive waste disposal site that they're starting to build. Now, the environmentalists, of course, are jumping up and down against this. So I'm going to read you some of their quotes after the break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in about four or five minutes. If you're enjoying this episode, we ask that you donate to the International Climate Science Coalition or ICSC at icsc-climate.com to help us pay for the show. We get about 50,000 listeners per program, so it's certainly worth continuing. Please visit icsc-climate.com and click on the red donate button in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. Once again, that's icsc-climate.com. Help us bring our program, the other side of the story, to thousands more. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's Chief Medical Board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, and weight. These are all real-world problems that 87% of Americans are struggling with. Often, there are no symptoms, but left unattended, we become inundated with one health problem after another. It's time to fight back with Heal Right. Heal Right is a bar that you eat but it's food as medicine that addresses the nutritional root cause of health issues in just eight weeks. Developed by world-renowned scientists and backed by 15 years of research, Heal Right is effective, but it's also delicious and works without additional diet or lifestyle changes. Step out of the statistics and use food as medicine. Visit healright.com outloud or americaoutloud.shop and use the code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on AmericaOutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, AmericaOutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use Cofix RX because it works. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. 
today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them, from improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news. A place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. I'm back with nuclear expert Todd Royal. We're going to talk about something called the Near Surface Disposal Facility, which has just been approved for handling low-level waste at Chalk River Laboratories. It's at a site about a two-hour drive northwest of Ottawa, Ontario. Now, I'd like to start, Todd, by reading a bit about the project so that our audience talks, you know, they understand what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. The reason this is controversial is because the Green Party and the Native groups and others are now jumping up and down saying, oh, my God, you've approved this thing. We want it canceled. So here we go. The near surface disposal facility is a proposed engineered disposal facility for low level radioactive waste planned for Chalk River Laboratories site. This is from the Government of Canada website. All All waste to be disposed of at this site will be required to meet waste acceptance criteria, et cetera. Then it says, 
the near-surface disposal facility is planned to have an operating life of, of at least 50 years and would be an engineered mound built near the surface on the CRL site. That's the Canadian Chalk River Laboratories. Mm-hmm. Now, the, engi- the engineered mound would be cellular, made up of multiple disposal cells consisting of, and I sent you a video which showed all the different layers, by the way, yep. a baseliner and final cover systems, a leachate collection and leak detection system. Now, leachate is basically a liquid material that you get, which is contaminated after it goes through land or stockpiled material. So leachate is a collect, it's being collected and environmental monitoring systems. And it would also include a wastewater treatment plant for things like the leachate, as well as supporting infrastructure. So that's how the government describes it. So here is now how the Canadian nuclear laboratories actually describe it. First and foremost, the NSDF, the Near Surface Disposal Facility, I think that's what it stands for. Yeah, that's what it stands for, (laughs) is an environmental remediation project, okay? This project provides a safe way to dispose of low-level radioactive waste from, for example, the production of medical isotopes that have treated over a billion patients worldwide as well as, of course, developments in nuclear energy. Since Chalk River Laboratory site's operation began, waste produced have been managed consistently on the surface, okay? Now, they're seeking to retrieve and dispose of this waste using modern engineering technology. Okay, so they say presently some of the waste is stored in waste storage systems, but continuing to build more and more temporary sites is neither sustainable nor financially responsible. Other wastes exist in soils, okay, affected by historic and ongoing operations or historic building materials. Those are other low-level wastes. And here's the concluding paragraph. NSDF has been specifically designed to isolate these waste materials from the environment. The highly conservative design life of the facility is in excess of 550 years, at which point the radioactivity will have decayed to levels you would find in the natural environment. Now, Todd, even though the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission have said that the project, quote, isn't likely to cause significant adverse environmental effect, we have environmental groups, native groups, as well as some opposition parties. Uh, They want the federal government to cancel the project because they're concerned about it polluting the aquifer and the nearby Ottawa River, which is about a kilometer away. Now, based on what you've read about the project, do you think their concerns are valid or is this a very safe way to handle low-level waste? Well, I always like to say that anybody's concerns are valid. You know, mm-hmm. people, I, I never like to go, oh, no, no, they don't know anything. Never like to say that. People have their concerns. I think it's always better to empathize with somebody. I think it's better to go, okay, you, you, you know, you're kind of scared about this. I think what's fascinating about this, it really goes back where you go fear tactics, you go, what has been presented to you? Is it Chernobyl, the miniseries on HBO, or is it The Simpsons? Well, I love what uh, this little research on this. Is, there's a person named the Kittigan Zibi First Nation Chief, Dylan White Duck. Mm-hmm. Okay? I love what he said about this. He goes, I grew up watching The Simpsons. And we're going to have a, a situation potentially of three-eyed fish. Uh, Mr. White, Chief White Duck is referring to the cartoon, the cartoon's depiction of mutated, mutated fish living near a nuclear power plant. And then he said, I'm really ashamed of this and this project. Um, 
there are times I can empathize with somebody, but there's also times when I go, so you're going to decide your opposition to something based on a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So really, I, I'm going to go, oh, okay, okay, chief, but you guys built before the environmental movement and before indigenous people became such a political hot button for people like Justin Trudeau to gain votes based on fear. The Canadians, you built 20 reactors, can do reactors, C-A-N-D-U, based on Canadian technology, can do reactors. I think you built 20 in 20 years. Uh, they also need to realize that you've got, what's the way to, I want to think about it, say this, which is a billion people worldwide have been treated for cancer with medical isotopes. Currently in my own family, uh, I have two cancer patients who are being treated as we speak with medical isotopes. Mm. Um, so you're going to say to somebody, so this waste, again, it's just use logic. I'm going to shoot something into my body. If God forbid uh, Chief White Duck or any of his family would have cancer. And if it was foreign, the best treatment was radiation. So you're going to shoot it into your body, but you think the waste from it is going to completely contaminate bodies of water, or you think that the Canadian government and the brilliant scientists and everybody working there are going to be so irresponsible that they're going to put that into water. It doesn't make sense. It's the same thing when you hear people go, oh my God, a nuclear reactor, it's like a nuclear bomb. No, it's not. It's two completely different processes. This is unbelievably safe to do it the way they're doing it. Again, they're going to a level of safety that I would say to the environmentalists, I would say to the indigenous groups, I hear what you're saying, I empathize. You've seen the Simpsons, it scares you to death. Do you really think in Canada right now? So you really think that all of these reactors are creating green globs of goo? <laughs> run by Homer. <laughs> run by Homer Simpson. Because yeah. I can assure you the safest way, the very safest thing that you're probably doing right now in Canada is that nuclear reactor. If you don't believe me, there's a wonderful gentleman named Chris Kiefer. Uh, Dr. Kiefer knows reactors backwards and forwards and is a huge proponent for the Canadian uh, nuclear fleet. So it, it doesn't even make business sense. Nobody is going to come there build something and contaminate everyone around you. This is not the Soviet Union. This is not communist China. This is the most forward-leaning human rights considered government, arguably right now on the planet, is the Canadian government. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and Trudeau responded to this by saying, look, we have the world's leading experts in an independent safety organization, and they've approved it. He said, I'm trusting the experts. I don't see how you can actually make it safer than that. And yet it's interesting because dozens of supporters of the native groups in the Green Party were on Parliament Hill, and they were carrying signs that said, say no to nuclear waste. Well, guys, the nuclear waste already exists. Okay, this is a remediation project. They're trying to actually store it more safely than is currently being stored. So, I mean, <laughs> it's how can you say no to something that already exists? What are you going to do with it then? Are you going to put it in your backyard? I mean, well, no. again, it, it goes back to that level. How many, how many nines of safety are you looking for? How many? 
because it doesn't exist in your car. It doesn't exist in your food. It doesn't exist in your home. It doesn't exist anywhere. You're talking about levels of safety. As an example, do you realize that uh, nuclear power plants in the United States have better air quality than the Clean Air Act? It's, it's regulated heavier by the EPA than the air I'm currently breathing in the United States. And mm-hmm. Canadian, the, your Canadian um, regulatory body, the you know, Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, normally follows the exact same rules that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in the United States follows, which means the low-level waste that you're talking about remediating and treating, not only are you going to create incredible amounts of jobs that are going to be incredibly high-paying, you're going to be treating this in a way that no other industry treats their waste. Mm -hmm. Nuclear also is the only energy source that actually treats its waste. Think about that. The coal industry doesn't do it. Any other fossil fuels don't do it. I can assure you the renewable, uh, these folks that would be all for the wind and the sun, they do not treat their wind turbine systems or solar panels the way the Canadian government and Canadian industry is about to treat this low level waste. So Mm -hmm. It is unbelievably safe to do it like this. And then on top of it, you're creating other industries that are going along with it. What I would also respectfully say to Chief White Duck is this. Sir, you and your family, I I promise you, you're somewhat near a um, landfill. Did you know that in Western countries, we build on top of landfills now? Mm. We'll build parks. We'll build homes. Um, So are you safe with that? Are you safe with how landfills are done? I mean, go look at how a modern landfill is done. I mean, there is massive amounts of methane gas that is produced by that. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. Western, uh, Western governments do an incredible job of pollution control in landfills. Companies, you know, the International Company Waste Management in the United States, which owns many landfills, does a great job. It's not as safe as this currently proposed plant. They mm-hmm. are not going to treat the trash the exact and nowhere near what what is going to be done here at NSDF. It's not. Yeah, and they're not. They're not going. They're not going to build communities on top of the waste disposal facility either. No. Here's another. Here, here's another quote I wanted to talk about. Chief Lance Heyman. Okay, and he seems like a very genuine and sincere guy and a very good speaker, a good representative for Native people. He says, we stand united in safeguarding the well-being of our shared environment and the fundamental right of all Canadians to access clean and uncontaminated drinking water. Now, it's interesting because the Canadian nuclear laboratories have a very good video that I'll put under the podcast, which follows the path of a raindrop falling on the waste while they're filling the facility. Now, after it's filled, it's fully sealed, but they actually follow a drop of rain as it hits the facility while they're putting the waste in there. Okay. When it was, and it's most exposed and they have so many layers of containment under the facility where they Mm -hmm. drain it off into a special place, et cetera. I mean, when you look at all those different layers, even during the filling of the, of the resource depository, do you think there's any danger to the drinking water in the vicinity? I, I think you, I think what you just described answers it. No. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it just, I, I get so frustrated with the entire environmental movement, which I 
I've argued before and will argue because I've had to study it. The intentions were great. The intentions were fantastic. You were born off the World War II movement that you were, everyone was scared to death that we we're going to go back to war and slaughter one another again. So the intentions have been fantastic. But how many more, I, I'm repeating myself, how many more levels of safety do you want? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not getting that from a you're not getting that from a wind farm. You're not getting that from a solar farm. You're not getting it from a coal-fired plant, a natural gas-fired power plant. You're not getting that. I'm, I mean, I would tell someone, go look at a wastewater treatment plant. Go go visit those sometime. Those are not the cleanest, those are not the cleanest things you've ever seen. I've been in them before. They're also mm-hmm. mainly powered by fossil fuels. You're talking about I mean, think about what you just described to me. We're taking rainwater and we're treating it. We make sure it doesn't get near this and near this waste and that waste. It, it, there's when you say it out. I have a theory. I call it the "say it out loud" theory. In other words, say it out loud. Somebody is looking to treat rainwater that it doesn't do anything to contaminate something that's being treated as we speak. But yet, you're willing to go if you had cancer and a cancer doctor said to you, "Your oncologist, you're going to get radiation." You're willing to shoot that into your body, but yet somehow you think the waste that's being treated by geniuses and experts in this field, that's going to contaminate your water. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it, it well, doesn't it doesn't make sense, Tom. There's nothing about this that makes sense. To me, yeah, it is the environmental movement. They only want to say no for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with human progress or people actually thriving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, one thing that strikes me when I watch this video, and I will put it up under the podcast, it's well worth it. It's a four minute video that shows the path of a raindrop as it hits the facility during the time they're filling it, which is when it's most exposed. You're not going to see a a leakage from the disposal facility of even a foot beyond the boundary of the facility. Now, the Ottawa River is a kilometer away. The water table is many, many feet below. I can't see that that raindrop is going to leak out into either the water table, let alone a, a kilometer away Ottawa River. I mean, am I being naive here or is this really about as safe as you possibly can make it? It's about as safe as you can possibly make it. And the exact same people have been saying for 20 years that fracking contaminates um you know, water tables and drinking water, and it doesn't, mm-hmm. and, yeah. it ha- and it hasn't. Yeah. Now, if, if it had, everybody in the United States right now, many, many people in the U.S. would be uh, very sick if that were the case, seeing the way fracking is. And the same thing, I, I can tell you anecdotally, or really from experience, I've owned a home that had a, a, a leche uh, septic system. Those mm-hmm. are very common. I wouldn't be shocked if the exact same systems are being used in Canada, which what it does, um, it takes all of the waste. If you if you use a lecce septic system, what it literally does is it captures the solid waste of a home, which obviously, um, you know, feces or other matters that would come out of you if you were sick, and it takes the liquids, meaning liquids from your from your body, um, urines or other liquids, along with let's say um, gray water that's going to come out of your dishwasher or it's going to come out of a washing machine or other types of gray materials. And it literally seeps it into the ground. That's mm-hmm. what a, that's what a lecce system does. So 
again. <laughs> so you're willing to have a lechy system of untreated human waste in solid and liquid form and dirty water from washing your dishes and your clothes, but treated waste from a high-tech treatment facility, that is what's going to travel a kilometer away, hundreds of feet underground, and contaminate all the um, uh, the drinking, the water table that's going to be used by folks in that area. So, yeah. But then you're also telling me, let's say that happened. Wouldn't that be discovered by the wastewater treatment plant when you're getting well, the that's tap right. water? There, there's all kinds of detection facilities yes. as well. You know, yes. and, and so, so you know, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I just wanted to really emphasize one point that we both brought up earlier, and that that is a this is a remediation project. It's designed primarily to handle waste that's currently being stored in less safe ways. So you have to wonder. I mean, where do the supporters think they're going to put it? I mean, they they have these signs, as I say, say no to nuclear. Well, the the waste already exists. They're talking about making it safer still. So if they don't build the facility, surely they're not going to have a safe long term storage to the extent they would if they built the facility. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and as I just described to you, I, I, I've done studies on water tables. I, I've studies on fracking. I've done a big study before. And as I told you previously, my, my master's thesis was on fracking. I looked at, I had to study water tables and how this works and how can liquid get down? How far does liquid actually go down? You have wastewater detect, detection facilities. If let's say, I'm wrong. And this many levels of nine, it's somehow penetrated. It's going to be detected before it would ever come to you anyway. Right. So they turn off the they turn off the system, you know, temporarily yes. anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now now one thing, Todd, I know we got to end now, but you know, people often talk about nuclear fusion as if if it's just around the corner uh for nuclear power electricity. Jay Lair used to say that it was, it was kind of funny because every 10 years, I think it was Princeton would put out a T-shirt saying nuclear fusion is only 10 years away. He said, oh, no, it's a lot further away than that. I mean, do, are we on the verge of nuclear fusion for electricity or is that still a long distance target? From what I've seen, it's still a long distance target. I did read something yeah. recently that a national lab said that, oh, um, we got more electricity out of it than what we put into it. But like any system, you have to go, what about all the inputs it's going to take? What about all the existing infrastructure? Uh, what, how are you actually going to deliver it? In other words, is it scalable? Mm -hmm. I think under controlled, in a controlled national lab setting, it seems to be making progress, but that doesn't mean that it's ready to, to be used tonight when you go to turn on your TV uh, or you go to cook your food, or you go to heat your home, or get in your car, and all the other things that it takes for a modern society to run. Um, I've not seen anything that says it's ready for scalable, affordable, reliable, resilient, um, and actionable, and, and companies and utilities are actually going to go do this deployment yeah i've not seen that it's anywhere near what i just described and so for now fission is by far the best energy source the cleanest energy source the most reliable etc and that is what we should be developing all across the united states 
absolutely. If you got rid of today's environmental movement, if you got rid of uh, the folks who who scare the living daylights out of people, whether the Simpsons or uh, HBO miniseries like Chernobyl, uh, we will look back one day, I believe, and go, how are we so foolish that the entire earth was not being powered by nuclear power? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that was great, Todd. We have to wrap up now. My guest today has been Todd Royal, a nuclear expert, internationally published columnist. He's been advising all kinds of U.S. government departments, and he's been now advising us. So that was great. Thanks for being on the show, Todd. Tom, thank you again. Just I, I love being on your show, and so I, I just really appreciate what you're doing. Okay, thanks very much. Well, this is Tom Harris and Todd Royal signing out from the other side of the story. If you're enjoying this episode, we ask that you donate to the International Climate Science Coalition or ICSC at icsc-climate.com to help us pay for the show. We get about 50,000 listeners per program, so it's certainly worth continuing. Please visit icsc-climate.com and click on the red donate button in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. Once again, that's icsc-climate.com. Help us bring our program, the other side of the story, to thousands more. <laughs>